0: My dad was 62 years old when he retired from the coal mines. I grew up just about an hour south of Pittsburgh, right on the border of West Virginia, where there's not much to do except be a coal miner or a teacher or back in the day, like Pittsburgh was known for the steel business. And so my dad started as a coal miner and then he worked his way up in the mines. And at about 62, I came the time for him to retire. Now, up until that point, my dad had been what we refer to as a functioning alcoholic, which all that means is, is he got drunk, but he still went to work every day the next day. He managed to be sober throughout the day, and then he would save his drinking for as soon as he got home, or as soon as he got home from work, he'd start, you know, the Miller light cans would pop open, and then... Uh, you know, it was off to the races and then the weekends were just like a blur. And that's when most of the embarrassing things would happen or the more uh, he put himself in danger as time went on. But during the week when he was working, like, you know, he managed to do that. So what happened, I think is when he retired at 62, you know it's like this crossroads for somebody that's an alcoholic it's like either i'm going to envision the rest of my life like now i can really create the life i want that's what we envision right we we think oh my god you know now you can go be all the things you want to do create the life you want to have live on your retirement you know you worked your way up you have the funds you know you can make it happen or another thing happens to a lot of people is they lose the only thing that's kind of their purpose right outside of drinking and i think that's true of my dad And what ended up happening was, as soon as he got uh, retired, his drinking went from bad to, like, it was, bad is not an understatement. It went from horrible to a, a, a crisis mode. And... I was like, I remember uh, he had fallen down and he had cracked some ribs. He fell down the steps, which is like a regular occurrence in my house. And and he had a cracked ribs and he had a pneumonia and he was like in the hospital. And I remember having a, pho- a conversation with my stepmom. And at this point, I had been sober for a long time. I was working at that point inside of a treatment center where I was running the family program and running a lot of the, the, the programs for people that were addicts and alcoholics, so, uh, the codependency programs and the relationships. Uh, healing programs. And I remember calling her and I was like, look, now is the time to get him into treatment. If you do not, he's in the hospital, he is going to die. I know we've talked about getting him into treatment many times, but you've got to get him into treatment. And if you don't, you know, orchestrate this, I'm gonna fly up there. I mean, I was like ready to put on my cape and my puffs. I'm like, I'm gonna fly up there and I'm gonna drag him from the hospital to the treatment center. And and for whatever reason, my dad. With the rallying of everybody, like finally taking a stand, decided it would be okay to come into treatment. And I think so much of his resistance to treatment was keeping a secret, not wanting people to know, not wanting to tell. Meanwhile, half the people, okay, that he was working with were also alcoholics, but, you know, hey, we don't want to tell anybody what's going on, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Anyway, long story short, my dad got his butt on a plane and flew down to South Florida. Where I was a teacher inside of a treatment center. And I ran a lot of different groups, like I said. I mean, it was surreal. It was a surreal experience having my dad in that treatment center. And I just remember when he checked himself in, he was like a frail old man, just a version of himself, like hunched, you know, scrunched, just weak. And it was like, man, we've got to nurse like a little bird wounded. We' got to nurse him back to life. and And I recognized when my dad came in how difficult that must have been for him. Here he is in a treatment center. He's with kids, you know, that are younger than he is, and they're they're addicts, and alcoholics are different than addicts, you know, and all the stories that our addicted loved ones tell us about why they can't make it happen or get into treatment. And I was running a lot of these different groups, but one of my favorite groups to run was the adult children of alcoholics group. You know, I, as a kid, wanted to make sense of my stuff, my relationship stuff, primarily adult daughters of alcoholics. We, our issues tend to manifest in relationships and in intimate relationships, primarily. And there's a lot of other things we do too. We self sabotage, we do a lot of things. But my, in, my, obsession with understanding adult children of alcoholics and the impact was never never ceased right so i was thinking man i want to teach this inside of the treatment center because while the addicts or alcoholics are sober let me work with them inside of this class to help them understand the impact they're having on their families that was a whole reason i ran an adult children of alcoholics class inside of the treatment center the the addicts and alcoholics would come in 100 at a time i'd speak to a big you know in a big um whatever that's called, you know, with a stage and talk to everybody and just like try to shine a light and help them see the impact that they're having on their families. Because I was like, man, when they're drunk, you and I both know empathy is not a thing. They are not thinking that they are hurting you or hurting anybody else. So for me, it was a really good opportunity to help the addict or alcoholics see past themselves and the narcissism of addiction so that they could look into the impact they're having on their families. So one day, uh, and I did many different things in this group to drive this point home. I had lots of tons of different exercises and group things that I would do. But for this one particular day, I said, you know what we're gonna do? I want you to draw a picture of how you feel inside of your family. Uh, it does. It can be abstract, it can be words, it can be, you know, there are no rules. Just I want you to draw a picture of how you feel inside of your family. That was the only instruction. They had about 15, 20 minutes. I played some music. They drew some pictures. My dad was in that class. And one by one, after everybody uh, had their pictures drawn, I had each of them come up to the stage and had them read and show their picture and or read the words and and tell everybody hey this is my picture and it was a way for them to start to open up for them to communicate for them to feel like expose the family dynamics it was a window for me to open an open conversation and one by one that came up and my dad was in the class and I was like nervous as hell to call on him I was like oh my god you know I am I gonna how am I gonna what, what am I gonna see here you know and by the way, nobody in the treatment center knew he was my dad. We had kept that a secret until right before he commenced. He was there for ninety days because we didn't want the stat. We didn't want the the clients treating him any differently, knowing that he was my dad, um, <clears throat> meaning, like not holding him accountable, letting him off the hook. You know, we wanted his experience to be legit, just like everybody else's. So anyway, my dad, as the picture, and I know you might be listening to the podcast of this, so you might not be able to see. So I'm going to describe this picture as I show it and show you what he drew. Okay. So this is the picture that my dad drew. On one side of the picture, there is an island with a tree, with a man holding his hands up in the air with a frowny face. Okay. On one side of the island. Then if you go across the water, there's a ship there's a ship there and there's people on the ship and they are uh, on this ship. Okay. And he's on the Island and everybody else is on the ship. And when I asked him, I said, okay, I said, okay, Tim, Tim, Tim is his name. I said, Tim, can you, Describe that picture to me. What does this mean to you? Like, here's the island and here's the ship. And he said, well, I feel like in my family, I'm stuck over here on this island and this island is my addiction. And I'm over here stuck and I'm waving my hands up in the air for somebody to help me. And all my family is sailing away from me. All my family is sailing away in the sailboat and I'm over here on the island, raising my hands going, hey, I'm over here. Help me, help me, help me. Now you can imagine when I saw this picture, I had to choke back the damn tears because first of all, I wasn't crying in anybody else's pictures and I didn't want to tip it off. The other thing was this. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, we're terrible people. Wow. Yeah, here we are. We're on this ship and we're cruising along like our lives are great and wonderful. And here's my dad on this island of addiction all by himself, stuck with his hands in the air, asking us to come what? Come um, what, rescue him. And as soon as I realized and heard the words "rescue him," marinated in my mind, I thought, "Ah, there it is." My dad inside a victim mentality. Addiction is a victim mentality, and it's hard to recognize sometimes because we think. Well, yeah, especially as heroes or fixers, if you believe that's you, you're a hero or you're a fixer, you're an actual inclination if you believe that, if you believe it's your job to save the day and somebody says, help me, help me, I'm over here on this island of addiction and I'm stuck and I can't do anything about it, what are you going to do? My first inclination, if I'm on that boat, is honey, I am going to fly. I'm going to jump off that boat. I'm going to swim my butt, swim and gasp for air over to the island. And then I'm going to grab my dad around the neck or whatever I can do. And I'm going to drag his ass to the boat, right? I'm going to pedal us, but halfway, I'm going to be dying, (laughs) you know, trying to come up for air because I can't carry a grown man across the waters, you know, but I'm thinking I can. I have no safety around me and I'm swimming over and going to drag his ass onto the boat. Now, how many of you, have thought that or tried that in your own lives where you have seen somebody wrestling, somebody struggling, and you have done that. You have dived off of the proverbial boat, swam your ass to their house, to their place, and tried to rescue them by lecturing to them, talking sensitive to them. Maybe you didn't grab them and take them to treatment, but maybe you, you know, uh, lectured and, and did whatever. So when you stop for a minute, Okay. And you realize my job is not to go swim over to the island of addiction, rescue myself and swim myself and do all of the, the heavy lifting so that my dad can be on the land of the living on that boat, sailing off into the sunset and the, and the, and the way. There's, there's a middle here. There's a middle way here that a victim doesn't consider. Because their whole agenda is to be rescued. They don't want to do it themselves. They want somebody else to do it for them. They want to get sober on the weekend plan. They don't want to have to work at recovery. They just want this thing to be done. They, they want, it's your fault or this way anyway. That's the victim mentality. And then the hero mentality is, well, it's up to me to do it all myself. So I better swim ass, my ass over there and fix this. Okay, that's what the, the hero's mentality is, is it's all up to me. But right in between this ocean of uncertainty okay in between the island and the boat is the pl- the path and the plan and in those waters are my job as a family member is to do one thing first it's to let this person know who's over here on this island of addiction is to say hey i'm not sailing away from you This this addict or alcoholic thinks, well, you're just leaving me here. Look, you're sailing away into your happy life. And I'm stuck over here on this island of addiction and you're going on about your life and you're happy now and you're doing this and you're doing that. And if I believe that, I'm gonna have tremendous guilt and I'm gonna pretend I'm not as happy as I am. And I'm gonna try to pretend that I'm miserable or I'm I'm gonna make myself miserable because I believe that if I'm happy, I can't be happy when they're struggling. And a lot of us have told ourselves that story. But the truth is, What if this boat was actually anchored? What if you weren't sailing away? What if home, this ship was home and it was an anchor and this boat wasn't going anywhere. It was anchored in, but it was anchored to a a place of of happiness, anchored to a standard of living. Hey, I'm going to describe my ship to you, dad. You're right. I'm on this ship and my ship is not going anywhere. My ship wants you on it. Okay. My ship is waiting for you. Meaning I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to hold a standard that I can't swim to shore and drag you onto this boat, okay, because I'm doing all the work, and also I believe that you're not stuck on that island. I believe you have options and choices about getting off that island yourself. And I know as a loved one, that if I stand the course and I stay rooted in the ship and the ship is, we want a peaceful family. We want a sober family. We want a loving environment. We want a stable environment. We want an encouraging environment. We want a, re- a reality-based environment. You know, we want a abundance-based environment. You know, we want to have a happy, healthy, peaceful, sane home. That's the ship. We're not going anywhere, but we're also not turning our ideas around and coming over and you know turning the wheels and bringing the ship back over to you in misery town. Our ship is anchored in the town of the vision. Okay? It's anchored in peaceful waters. It's anchored in happy waters. It's anchored in a paradise. And I'm not going anywhere, but I can't rescue you off that island without you doing your part. And What's your part? My part isn't to stand on the boat of the ship and yell over at the person on the island and go, "Well, you got yourself into this shit. You got to get yourself out." Okay. Well, I don't know what to tell you. You should have learned to swim. And then when they start to swim over to the boat to get on the to get on the the ship of uh, sanity and health and and happiness, and there's the land of addiction, and I I start to see them swim over, and now I'm going to judge the way they're doing it. Well, that's not the way to do it. I mean, what do you got? Like a backstroke there? Like that's never going to work. Oh my God, you're going to tire yourself out. And what do you do when somebody's trying to recover? Don't you, don't you judge the way they're doing it? Well, that's never going to work. I mean, you've tried treatment before, and good luck with that. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking. You think you're going to be able to stay sober? You never managed to stay sober before. You know those words. Echoing from the ship, carry on the waves over to that addict or alcoholic. And that's a wave of discouragement that you're sending over. That's a wave of disappointment and discouragement. So, what do you do instead? You maintain a hopeful position, but a steady position saying, Hey, I believe in you. I know you can do this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to hold the standard for me and for our family and for our lives. And I'm going to encourage you to join. Now, they're still going to be a victim well, I don't know how the hell to get there. I don't know what to do. I I don't know how to swim. I I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's true. They don't know how to swim. They don't know how to, but what they need to do is maybe just take some steps to get off the Island first. Okay. And what are the steps to get off of the Island of addiction? Isn't to get on the ship right away. It is to take miniature steps off the Island, which we call getting into treatment. Treatment are the first steps into off of this island. And then when you get in the water, after you start, water is recovery, right? This is acute addiction. The island is acute addiction. Then you get off that island and you move into the waters of recovery. And hey, honey, the waters of recovery are not always gentle, gentle, The waters of recovery are not always nice. The waters of recovery are not always fair. The waters of recovery are overwhelming sometimes. The waves of recovery are unpredictable and everything else that you can expect. You need to know that that ship is anchored and not going anywhere, even in the midst of how stormy that trip is for you. But what I can do on the boat is if I notice a storm is coming, I can offer you assistance. Excuse me. If I know a storm is coming as a family member, another thing I can do is say, Hey, looks like there's rough waters ahead. Here's a resource. Here's a tool. Here's an oar. Here's a, here's a, here's a different kind of boat. You know, when, when your loved ones are in recovery, uh, here's what happens for most family members. When they're at, addicted and actively alcoholic, you're all over them, right? You're like, oh, I'm trying to change them, trying to fix them, calling them up, stalking them, putting shit on your, you know, stalking devices on your phone, doing all the things. But as soon as they get into recovery, you're like, oh, okay, good, do it, make it happen. Now it's up to you. That's not the time. The time to put your resources into somebody isn't when they're actively addicted, meaning your personal resources, like I'm gonna fix everything. The only thing to do is say, hey to get off the island of addiction you need to get into treatment that's a resource that you put to your family member you're not the resource the treatment professionals are the resource right and i'm not saying you have to pay out of pocket i encourage you to use your insurance if you can do that you know it's better to do that than to keep paying out of pocket i've had clients spend half a million dollars or more trying to get somebody better so don't do anything you're going to regret Okay, Don't send somebody to treatment with your money of your life savings attached to an outcome, because what's going to happen is the outcome may or may not be what you expect it to be. And you're going to be super freaking resentful that you spent that money. So better to not do that and use the resources that are available and then, then be less attached to the outcome. Because sometimes they'll get into the waters of treatment. They'll, they'll get off and they'll go into treatment. They'll get into the waters of recovery and it'll scare the shit out of them. And they'll go right back to the island of addiction. And they'll be like, I got into the waters. The waters were hard. It was choppy. It sucked. And you're still on the boat. You're like, okay, you're watching them. You're like, oh, they looks like they're making it. They're swimming. And then all of a sudden they give up and they swim back to addiction Island. And you're like, what the right? You're, you're upset, but that's a, that sometimes is a natural thing. Like the island of addiction, though, it looks like misery is the safest place for this person. It's familiar. They know it. They know where the bananas are. You know what I mean? They know how to survive on that island. So when they're leaving the island to an unknown territory, which is your new ship, right? It's scary for them. So they swim out into the waters of recovery. They get overwhelmed by the first wave. They swim back to addiction Island. And sometimes then we, they have to start again. And our job is to say, you can do it. I believe in you. I'm waiting over here. This is the life that's available to you. This is what we're waiting for. And we believe in you. And maybe next time in that choppy water, maybe I can support you by saying, Hey, let me make it easier for you. It looks like a halfway house would have been a better option than to swim all the way to the boat. Maybe you need to swim off of addiction Island and then and get into these uncertain ter- shark infested waters inside of a, a hub, a submarine. You know what I mean? Maybe a shelter inside of here, like a, like a like a halfway house or a sober living environment. Right? Uh, that's a tool you can offer somebody. Not hey, no, I've had enough of you uh, on Addiction Island. Get your ass on the ship. Well, sometimes people can't get right to the ship. They need to get on a dinghy for a while. They need to get on like a little rowboat for a little bit. You know what I mean? They need to like feel the water before they're prepared to get back on your ship. This is such a long metaphor today, (laughs) but what I want to say is, it's twofold. When this picture came up, it's an opportunity to say, I know it feels like you're stuck on the island of addiction to your loved one who's throwing up their hands, they're waving their hands in there, there's nothing I can do, I'm stuck here, It's, it's all your fault, you're leaving me and you believe that, you're going to run to the rescue and do all the heavy lifting for your loved one. You are going to detox them yourself. You are going to drive them to the meetings and make them sit in there and take pictures of themselves, whether they're there and take pictures of people's shoes, even because it's anonymous. And you know, you know, you're going to do all the things. You're going to track them. You're going to do the things. Not, that's not going to get recovery for either one of you. But what will is if you maintain your center and your chip, and you are on your ship. You are secure. You are managing your emotions. You are managing your psychology. You are managing your standards. You are managing all that. And they are managing swimming, probably horribly messily swimming, not a cool, not cool looking, not Olympic level swimming, but they're floundering and failing. And you say, oh, maybe I can throw a dinghy. Oh, maybe I can give some coaching. Oh, maybe I can give this other resource while they're fl- while they're swimming over. And eventually- if we let this person be empowered out of the victim role and we empower you to be out of the fixer role and just worry about your own life and your own self, eventually reunification is possible. Eventually they make it back on shore. But if you interrupt the process, if you swim over and try to do it for them, you, you interrupt the process. So hopefully this has been a good analogy for you. Now, listen, if you want to know, well, how do I maintain that? I don't, Heidi I want to create a ship I want to be a, a ship on the ocean of uncertainty that is unshakable it's unsinkable it's like you know what they wanted the Titanic to be okay right now you're on the Titanic it's supposed to be unsinkable but man one little iceberg and your ass is grass okay I want to help you become a real ship on the island, on the, on the waters of uncertainty and addiction, meaning we're going to batten down the hatches. We're going to, you're going to be prepared. You're going to have enough gasoline. You're going to have enough energy, enough fuel, boundaries, all the things in place so that you feel secure while somebody's out there trying to get back to the center that you also know what resources to offer, what tools to offer, what's too much, what's too little and how to handle that. And then if you want to learn how to do that, I want to encourage you to let's work together. Uh, come over to HeidiRain.com, learn more about how I can support you and create that anchor for you. So, uh, or if you decide, well, Heidi, I don't want to be the boat and the anchor. I think my boat is sailing away. I think my boat is actually sailing away. Then I want to teach you how to sail away with sail away with grace and courage and strength and no regret. So that you know that this person over here playing the victim, you've given every opportunity to. And eventually, sometimes the even the, the anchors need to come up and we need to move to a new space. And that's the wisdom of when to know. When to know when it's time to pull up the anchors and mosey on down or keep the anchors there or how long should I wait or how long is this going to take? And that's a lot for you to figure out. So you can also, uh, in the comments below, book a 90-minute strategy session where we can brainstorm together and figure out what the stri- what the strategy is for you, where you live with a concrete action plan, uh, knowing in your heart exactly what actions to take. There's so many different ways I can support you, and I would love to be able to help you. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Please share your thoughts about this analogy today. And until the next time I see you, take excellent care of yourself. And as always, love yourself first, Okay, so that you can have the gasoline you need. Love you. Have a great day. Bye.